Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Osiris. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to episode 52 of the Touchdowns All Day podcast with your co-hosts, John Barber and Mr. Max Dawson. Welcome to 2024, everyone. We're podcasting. We're mass communicating. This is episode 52. This episode will be a interview discussion with myself, Mr. Max Dawson, and Joe Friedman, a.k.a. Joey. And we are going to go deep on the three new songs that the Biscuits stealth dropped into the show's this past New Year's run, three brand new bangers. All three songs were really, really ragers for the fan base as first plays, which is something that doesn't happen that often. And this episode, we go deep about that. So I'm going to leave that out of the rant. Stay here, stay tuned, listen to the whole episode, and you can hear the stories and some key demo plays and other interesting tidbits about the new songs. Really great conversation that we had on January 2nd about all this stuff. And let me tell you, folks, we are hustling here because after New Year's 2023, we did five days of double sessions here in the studio. We did podcasts. We did uh, a lot of songwriting. We did uh, work on... uh, all the songs from 2023 episode 53 of the podcast is going to be the beginning of a podcast series where Mr. Max Dawson does some interviews with myself, other band members, Joey about the upcoming released disco biscuit album, which is a giant double album. It's a double album folks. It If we were to put this album on vinyl, it would be four albums or five, maybe six. I don't know. I haven't done the math, but what is it, 18 minutes aside? I mean, this is like 70 or 80 minutes of music. Uh, it's crazy. So it, it's, there's got to be someone in the Biscuit fan base that can do that math. Get back to me. Hashtag touchdowns all day on on X, on Instagram, on Facebook. Join the Touchdowns All Day community. The Facebook community is apparently popping. And have fun with us online as we discuss and go into detail about the new Disco Biscuit Space Opera album. So that's enough on episode 53. That's next episode. This is episode 52. We're going to talk about the new songs over New Year's It was incredible 2023 New Year's. Uh, I just have to say that I think Herm, the lighting guy, just really, really did a beautiful, amazing job. Uh, Just super, super proud of him. He really showed up and killed it. It's a lot of songs for somebody who is new. And to have a technical mastery of a gigantic light rig working for a run where we're also putting new songs into it, I think was, was an incredible feat. So thank you all for coming to all the shows over new years. There were so many of you at the shows. We were very happy. There was like 500 people who couldn't get in 
on into the New York show who are just in Times Square. I'm sure they hopped on Nugs and watched the live stream. If there was one that night, I'm not sure. But there definitely was one for New Year's, New Year's Eve. If you'd like to watch those, sometimes they're available on YouTube. Sometimes they're available on Nugs. I would say subscribe to our YouTube page and subscribe to Nugs. And you will get all the Biscuit video content that exists. And we look good, baby. We look good. You want that content. You want the video content. I mean, dude, I've been on that exercise bike like it's my job. And uh, it's working. It's working. So you want to check out the video, folks. You want to check it out. So real quick, I want to thank everybody for a great 23. We had an incredible 2023. And uh, the shows were incredible. The band sounds great. We we got to a level as a group of people and a family that I, I think is the maybe the most just together and, and focused and intensely into delivering the best music on a night-to-night basis that we possibly could. We got some applause in 2023. That was legendary. I mean, the Portland, LA, you know, uh, I don't know. There was so many, like, the cap theater was crazy. The, the the New Year's was amazing. And there were so many shows in the early part of the year that were very memorable as well. So I really feel very proud of us for 2023. And I want to talk about 2024 a little bit. Um, you know, we can discuss 2024. 2024, I think it's just going to be potential. I mean, it really is lined up to be the best Disco Biscuit year in the history of the Disco Biscuits. And let's be honest, there's going to be more shows. There's going to be really, really interesting shows in different locations. We're playing the Gem and Jam Festival in Arizona in two weeks. And apparently that festival is amazing. And no matter who's playing music, the gems themselves are a draw, is what I'm being told. It's the most amazing gem festival in the world or something like that. So we're excited. Uh, I'm going to be there. Andy Frasco is going to be there. I'm going on Andy Frasco's podcast in a few minutes to talk about it. So make sure you check out my my appearance with Andy and Nick on the World Saving Podcast. And uh, I'll also be on the No Simple Road Podcast this weekend. And I don't know when they're going to drop that podcast, but if you guys know about the No Simple Road podcast, those guys are professionals and amazing. And we love what they do here. I'm very happy to be a part of their podcast as well. And that's, you know, that was, that's, these are great things for 2024. We're going to be playing in a, a ton of amazing shows. And I want to see you out there on the road. We're going to be releasing music. It's looking like all year. So just, you know, go to Spotify, follow the band, go to Apple Music, whatever you do, and just make sure you're following us and getting notifications and stuff like that because we're going to be shooting out songs all the time. I mean, even on my Baba G SoundCloud, I'm going to start dumping all of the old, like, demos that I don't know, that like, they can't sit on my hard drive. They, they, they have to be listened to. So just experiments, stuff like that is going to go up there. And it's just, that's what it's going to be. 2024 is going to be all about. 2024 is going to be a great year. 2023 was tough. I mean, look, the past couple of years have been tough, let's be honest. But 2024 is going to be the year, I'm calling it now, where the world turns around, where the Disco Biscuits have the greatest music band year of their entire career. And uh, we all have a lot of fun together. So I'm looking forward to seeing you out there on the road. 
And, uh, you know, let's get into this long discussion about all the new songs and the New Year's shows and everything. We're mass communicating. We're mass communicating. We're mass communicating. Max here with a little housekeeping before we get to our interview with John and Joey. Next week, the band heads out on the road for their Why We Dance tour. Things kick off with two nights at the Crystal Bay Casino on the shores of Lake Tahoe up in Nevada. I will be there, guys, as well as at most of the shows on the West Coast through Boulder. And I hope to see some of you out on the road. I really loved getting to meet some of the Touchdowns All Day listeners at the Electric Factory or Franklin Hall over the New Year's run. It was so great to meet you guys. So definitely come up, say hi. If you see me up front with Joey, we're hard to miss. All three nights in Boulder in February already sold out, and that includes the special Tractor Beam show on February 11th. Word to the wise guys, I think a lot of shows will be selling out on this tour, so please head over to discobiscuits.com slash shows. Buy your tickets in advance. Don't leave it to the last second. Check out the VIP packages as well. Lots of cool perks. VIP pass holders will receive exclusive posters. They get in for the pre-show sound check. They get to meet the band, do a little meet and greet, and they get their photos taken. It's a really great deal. And in some cases, it's the only way you're going to be able to get a ticket for some of these shows because the GA tickets have sold out already. T 
tickets are still available for the three nights in Aspen at the Belly Up. If you want to see the biscuits in a, you know, 1999 vintage style small venue where you and uh, about four or five, six hundred of your closest friends are packed uncomfortably into a tight sweat box of an environment, this is your chance. And on what was supposed to be our night off to rest and recuperate, we now have a special Baba G DJ Brownie solo show scheduled for February 8th, the Agave in Avon, Colorado. If you heard our Baba G recap in episode 51, you know what these shows are all about. This is going to be an opportunity for you to hear Mark and John experimenting with new material, trying out some stuff that you might end up hearing at a Biscuits show or on a Biscuits record in the not too distant future. You're not going to want to miss this one, guys. And tickets are going fast, small venue. So definitely make sure to pre-buy. Also, I just, uh, an insight tip for y'all. Keep your eyes on that March 29th TBD date on the tour calendar. I can't quite tip you off as to what the band has in store for us that night just yet. But let's just say I've got my plane ticket booked and I would not miss this show for anything in the world. All right. With that, we are ready to get to the interview. One last thing before we start. The world debut of the latest version of the demo of Dino Baby. One of the three new songs debuted by the Biscuits during the massive 2023 New Year's run. This one was first played at the Palladium in New York City on 1228. And you're going to hear that this song has evolved quite a lot in the two, three weeks since it was first played on stage. Keep in mind, however, this is a work in progress. And uh, I want to extend a big thanks to John and Joey for letting me share this with you. It's not every day that your favorite band lets you hear their rough demos in real time as they're still working on developing the songs. That's the theme of this episode, guys. The Disco Biscuits new songwriting process, this collaboration between John, Joey, Alan, Aaron, and Mark that has produced so much great new material and that continues to inspire the band and lift them to new higher heights. So with that said, the world debut of Dino Baby, the latest demo, and after that, John and Joey in the studio.
so I'm here in the studio at Barber's with John and Joey. Joey, welcome, making your first appearance on Touchdowns All Day. Thanks, Max. It's really good to be here. I think you've been doing a really great job with the rebooted Touchdowns All Day podcast, and we're really excited to have you as the new voice of the Disco Biscuits. Thanks, my man. I've got for you guys some updated statistics. Post-New Year's Eve, we have some updates to make. Uh, as you guys all heard in TDAD episode 50 with Mark Brownstein, we recapped some of the highlights of the year, including some of the numbers, some really astonishing numbers in terms of songs played, bust outs, et cetera. We have some updates here post-New Year's. I'm going to start us out with we got 72 shows in the books 2023. That was in 49 cities, some of which the band hadn't hit since 2001. One that stood out to me, Portland, Oregon, my old home. We used to have so much fun at the Crystal Ballroom, John, bouncing up and down on that floor. Mauricio was there. We had a great, uh, Chris Clarko, we had a great Portland biscuit scene. You had not been back to Portland since I left in 11 to 2001. What? Yeah. We played Portland in 2001 and then not again? Yeah. I moved, I left Portland, and then you never came back. And then I went back to Portland with you guys this year, and you played Portland again. And as we talked about uh, in episode 50, one of the the true highlights of 2023 was that first set, Big Cheer, in Portland. It's no wonder they're so emo up in Portland. They haven't had the Disco Biscuits there in 22 years. Between that and the rain, is I, I don't know how they do it. Uh, St. Louis back since the first time since the early 2000s. Oh, Boise. The last time you played Boise, John... Three eight ninety nine. Come on, I'm serious. Plus, you had a lot of first time visits. Uh, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, Mobile, Alabama, Red Bank, Rexford, Livingston, Montana, Spokane, Bend, Blue Lake, California, State Line, Nevada, East Hampton, and of course Iceland. A lot of places getting their first taste of the disco biscuits. You hit twenty seven states, plus DC, and of course Iceland. In those shows, you played a total of 144 songs. We had to update that because three new debuts, bringing us to a total of six originals, including five that we can give thanks to the man in the, in the room with us right now for. So we had Falling, which debuted on May 21st, By the Time on June 8th, Photograph on the 17th, although you guys played Photograph as an instrumental like four or five times before the first play. Yes. They were warming it up. We had a we had a, we we had a good song there, but we didn't really know what the song was about. So it took us a little while to get those lyrics dialed in. But they they teased it throughout April and May quite a few times before they dropped it at, in Mulcahy's. It felt like the uh, the track itself, even though the lyrics were unfinished, was so hot that you couldn't just keep it in the studio. You couldn't like not play it. Every time you would bust it out during those shows, it was a high point. And fans started to say, what's going on? They keep playing this theme over and over again. People started to identify what it was. And by the time you put the lyrics to it, it was like people were waiting for photograph. Yeah, I mean, we got together at the end of April, uh, Mark, Aaron, John, and I, and we, we got those songs started. And uh, so they actually, more than probably any song, maybe the first couple Space Hopper songs, they sat on the sat on the bench for a little while before they were dropped, but... Those six weeks between the end of April and when they got played for the first time, they were just marinating on everybody's mind. And uh, but it's good; it's good to get out there and practice it and get excited for it and 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 get people hyped up that maybe there's something coming. 
The next new one was all the way uh, in uh, December, December 28th in Times Square, you debuted. And John, I'm going to ask you, is it Dino or Dino Baby? It's Dino Baby. Okay, because I've heard you say it both ways. I have said it both ways, but it is Dino Baby for sure. Uh, you know, sometimes we name the songs something that is just catchy and fun just to put a name on the on the session so it's not sitting as untitled. And sometimes that becomes the name. Dino Baby is that name. I mean, we the other two songs became kind of their own names because they developed into songs. But that one, that one, I think Dino Baby, just everybody likes the song. It's kind of a weird song. It's cool. We could name it something else, but I guess it's, that's what it is. I like Dino Baby. I vote for keeping a Dino Baby. <laughs> that one, of course, is based on a segment from the M1 To Be Continued from Joey. Is it the Catskill Jubilee Show? Yes, the Catskill Jubilee Show. That was a favorite jam of mine all year, and I don't think you and I ever even talked about it other than me sending you a text of, this is so fire. I was so thrilled when you sent me that demo because that got lost in the shuffle in the jam of the year uh, discussion. But it is a jam that if you haven't listened to lately, guys, definitely go back to that show and replay the entire thing. We'll be right back. 
Joey, was that something you always had in your mind that you were going to write to? How did you come to that? That, not really, no. When we met, um, John and I had met, we did like a, a Zoom session and we were just listening to stuff and, and John had actually had a clip of that jam already. So that was something that he had uh, resonated with and when we were listening to it, um, I mean, I, I, I was at Catskill to believe it. I listened to that M1 and the two be continued a lot and I loved it, but it didn't immediately stick out to me as something to write over. Um, and then when Barber, uh, had, it, had it already clipped, um, I was like, oh, this actually has some really cool little melodies in it. It's weird. It's not exactly, um, the typical thing we would automatically think to write over. And it just resonated with me too. And so, uh, we just started with that. Uh, we, we don't need a lot of reasons to push us in a certain direction. Um, we try to just get inspired by something and then we just go. John, was that jam something that stood out to you at the time when you played it or did you go back and revisit some shows and rediscover it? That show was a very, it was a new recording process for us. That show getting the files from the stage onto my studio computer is a process that I've been working on with Rich, our front of house guy. And it's been something where I need certain information, like for instance, the click I need. And it's not a natural thing for people to record any clicks that are happening on stage and putting them in the multi-track. But if I have the click in the multi-track, Suddenly I can quickly, what they call warp, which is just get everybody on the same beat in the computer and the computer on the same beat. Because the biscuits don't play to a sequence ever, but the biscuits do use sequencing technology by sequencing live on the fly. And we do that. Alan does it almost the whole show. He's doing it all the time. Aaron does it as well when he needs to, like, uh, for instance, on the on the sample jam over New Year's, Aaron was creating a sequence that he could then use his sample to drop into so that the sample was dropped in the same spot that the band would want to play it. And so that first Jubilee weekend was the first weekend that I had really dialed in the tones of all the instruments, the click. And I had something that I thought was, hey, I could literally mix this and master this and just make live albums or essentially what Joey and I started doing was always the plan, which was cut these amazing moments out of there and use them to make songs where you're already starting with an amazing moment. So, you know, the song is going to be fire and you just have to basically have a good day writing on top of it. We like to use the phrase uh, catching lightning in a bottle, right? How do you capture the magic of the Disco Biscuits on stage and then bottle it up and and turn it into something beautiful? And and the first, you know, when, when we did it with, the first song we did it with a, of the new set of songs was um, The Wormhole. And that was really in real time, right? I heard the jam at the show. I was like, this sounds like the song when, when they're going to go through the wormhole. And I, I, I'd had an idea that I wanted to use a couple jams as songs. Um, and then we, we, we had success with that. We did Times Square, we did To Be Continued, and By The Time and, and Photograph were all from jams. Um, but with all five of those songs, we had to actually rebuild the song yeah. from the jam, and, it, and it's a process. But the last three, there's a couple unique things about the, the three. One, 
they're all songs that came from jams <laughs> that involved sequences that came from songs that came from jams. Yes. Right, so you had M1 to be continued, which came from a Vasilio Spaga jam. You had a By the Time Buddha, which came from a Morph jam. And you had, uh, what was the other one, Max? Uh, Ring the Doorbell, to- or uh, Times- oh, Basis Times Square. Yes. Right, now granted, they're, they're type two jams and... You know, the basis Times Square was a little heavy on the basis, but the sort of this idea that we captured this magic, we turned it into a song, which led to more magic, which we got more songs from. It's almost like this. Uh, Brownstein calls it Jamception, which I really like, and it's 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 beautiful. Now these songs have like a family tree almost, and they've got good genes, good bones in them, <laughs> um, and it really is like John said. We know going in that it's got the disco biscuits built into the DNA of the song. We know going in that the jam already resonated with somebody. And why why just play it once, right? Why not turn these moments that are created? I mean, these guys are writing it. It's not like they're plagiarizing somebody else's yeah. music. They're creating it on stage where they feel most comfortable creating great music. So let's capture it and let's uh, let's water it and let's help it grow into something beautiful. And then like a plant, it creates a seed that you then take and plant back into the ground and it creates a new song. Um, John, has this changed how you played having this new form of spontaneous improvised composition become a huge part of your songwriting process when you're out on stage? Are you noticing in the middle of a jam like, oh, this could be something or are you just too much in the flow state of the moment to even think about it until you can listen back later? Well, the podcast listeners have all noted over the many episodes of this podcast that I'll be listening to the band playing and I'll be like, this is a song. (laughs) And I've said that, and we've talked about that since the 90s. You know, we as a band have talked about that forever, but it seemed like... um, the the there are so many different ways to write a song and we involve so many of them and this is the new way uh and i really like this way because it it is a lot less production intensive for for myself at least and and it's a lot more fun because everybody's involved from the jump pretty much um yeah so I've always thought that this was a great way to make songs for the band. We've always had a issue going into a studio and trying to be ourselves. When, when you're in a studio, they sell you on some other fancy guitar amp that they got in Nashville. And then they put Magner on a, on a grand piano instead of the one he plays on stage. And then Mark's bass isn't right behind him. It's in some other room, the amp, and it's in an ISO cab and he can't feel the bass. And, it just feels like when, whenever we're in a studio, it's not the same feeling and experience for us. And we are very uniquely defined by our onstage experience. Whereas other bands that go out, they play what they did on the album and everybody's happy. For the Biscuits, if we go out and play what we did on the album, I think everyone would be unhappy. They require us to jam. They require us to do it differently. And that kind of chemistry and magic is very comfortable for us on stage. And in studios, it's been very difficult to recreate because it's some other equipment and it sounds different and there's headphones instead of amps. And then you can't do it like we do it on stage 
in a studio because they just won't let you, you know, they just have their rules about ISO and stuff. And so when we get the recordings from stage, I get isolated tracks of guitar. I get isolated bass. I get isolated keyboards. And that's all by design to give me a studio-like experience when I get into the studio with the tracks. And that is why this is working. The, what Joey was alluding to before is what it used to be when we did Wormhole, for instance, is Joey would say, I like this part of the jam. And then I would pull up like a techno orchestra and just make the jam again. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I used to like recreate the jam using like a techno orchestra in, you know, in the computer. And then we would bring the band in to play on top of that techno orchestra and usually writing lyrics along the way. And that was a lot of work because not only do I have to recreate the jam with you know, a bunch of synthesizers and techno beats and stuff like that. But I also then have to bring the band back in to replay the copy of the techno stuff, which is a copy of what they played originally. So that was just a lot of steps. And that's how we made the whole space opera pretty much. I mean, there was, everything was made from different techno orchestra cuts that we we're generating on the fly. And, and then the band would replay stuff. And that was a lot. This, they've already played it. And I have an isolated version of it, which we've been recording from stage. So now the question really is, can we make it sound good? You know, because it's not going through that weird Nashville amp or it's not a grand piano. Can we make it sound good? Yeah. And I think we're going to be able to do that personally. I think that that's, that's the easy part. And what we've noticed is that um, with this method, all the band members feel very bought in to these songs because they all created them together right even alan was i remember when we when we gave him the new demos he was like man my e-drums sound really good on ring the doorbell twice and he and i think there's something about having having that 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 ethos of the live band i mean the the, the disco biscuits have always treaded that line between electronica and in live american jam music and with the space opera, they all started as electronic songs, and then we had to make them into the band. But for these last couple of demos, they started with live-tronic. They started with the instruments, and now we can make them more electronic or do whatever we want. But um, I think I think it all the band members feel really, really connected to this new music as opposed to... You know, if John, and I think in the other, he, he said he used to write it on the acoustic guitar. If John has to write it and then teach it to Mark and teach it to Alan and teach it to, to Magner, right? It's, it's John trying to translate what he's feeling. And in this new method, it's, it's, it's the band created this together. And it, and it really just starts at the jump. It's so much more collaborative and everybody feels much closer to it. John, we're in the studio. You've got your setup in front of you. Is there any way we could take a listen to some of the stems or isolated tracks from one of the new songs? Let's say the next one that you debuted, 123023, uh, ring the doorbell twice. Yeah, of course. Of course, this is a fully functional studio. Why would we not be able to do that? What a silly question. And of course, this one comes from the 2023 Jam of the Year, as decided by the Disco Biscuits fan community. Um, I was loving the fact that as the poll was going on, the results are coming in. You guys are in the studio. You're working. 
on a song that is going to come out and be based on elements from the jam that the fans have collectively identified as the highest highlight of 2023. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty sure when I listened to this jam that it was going to be the jam of the year. I also thought when I listened to Mindless Dribble Confrontation at Bisco Land, that was going to be the jam of the year until they played this jam. Um, and the cool thing was in the morning, we had decided to start working on this jam and you were interviewing Brownstein that morning for his yeah. interview. And he was on his way over to the studio to come meet us for the writing session. And I said, uh, by the time Buddha jammed today. And he goes, is that one jam of the year? So <laughs> we were we were pretty, we didn't know it when we started it that was jam of the year, but we found out shortly after we started it that was jam of the year. And uh, that was exciting for us all that we were going to be able to turn around a song for a New Year's run. That was jam of the year before the year was over.
And another thing that I do remember you saying to me, Joey, was that this was the song that came together and realized itself in the shortest amount of time of anything since you and John began working together. Yeah, and then and well, and then the next song, the next day, was even shorter than that. And it really is uh, the the new process that we have, where John can take the multi tracks, we can listen to them, decide what makes sense for a verse, what makes sense for a break, what makes sense for the jam, rearrange it in Ableton and write over it, and 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 without him having to rebuild using the techno orchestra, it saves hours and hours and hours of time. And now we'll. we'll We'll write after the, the the studio session to refine it. We try to get a baseline, baseline melody, baseline lyrics. So when we listen to this, there will be definitely be some lyrics that are a bit different than what came out on stage. But we know when there's a song, and it's just a matter of going through it and going through it and sending it to you and sending it to Steve and seeing what you guys think and getting feedback. And then we come to come to where the, the lyrics finally sit. John, you want to take us through? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, the this process in my mind is easier and better, mostly because I'm not writing parts that the other guys have already played. I'm not rewriting their parts. I'm using their parts. And it, it's generally better to use their part. I think there is a nuance to the techno orchestra. You do get a song like Another Plan of Attack, which would never come out of a jam, because it's so many chords and stuff like that. And it's so specifically the kind of song that it is. So I think there's value in all the different ways of writing the songs. And I do like to rotate them all. But this new way is really, really cool. And I think it's going to become a very, you know, a, a mainstay of the songwriting process. Um, you know, there's something to be said for the old way of just playing acoustic guitar from 1 a.m. to 2.30 a.m., recording the whole session and going back in and cherry-picking all the great riffs. I mean, there's something to be said for that. But um, but this way, it's always been a dream of ours is to be able to make music with this with the system that we're doing right now. Where do you want to start in the song? I don't know. Why not right off the top? Okay. All right, so this is a little intro that Aaron made just to give it a little bit of a beginning of the song feel. Um, you know, you you got to spend time when you're making the track on intros, outros, and crashes. And I don't think we got to outros or crashes on this one, but we did get to intros. And then this is right from the jam. The bass is right from the jam. The e-drums are right from the jam. Everything's straight up right from the jam. Riser. It's the magic. That's the awesome button. Yep. All right, here's where the lyrics would go. I think I took the lyrics out. You want to listen to the lyrics or no? Yeah, let's listen to the lyrics. Bring them in. Second time. <laughs> that didn't make the cut. That did not make the cut. That's, <laughs> these are the demo lyrics. They're not going to make the cut. 
But you gotta sing something in the studio, you know what I mean? Like, when you're making the demo, you can't make the demo with no lyrics. You have to make the lyrics. You have to try something, because it's, it's always hard to do the lyrical part. And it's so easy to wimp out. So where did the phrase ring the doorbell twice come from? Oh man. So <laughs> so this is this is uh a story about organization and what organization can do, uh, the positive impacts of organization. So um, around a couple months ago, really, John adopted Notion, uh, a project management software, and the whole band has adopted it now. We do set lists in Notion. We write songs in Notion. We put down ideas that we have in Notion. And uh, we have organized ourselves our way to a lot of songs actually but john had a voice memo um that sounds nothing like this nothing. but it had a line in it <laughs> called ring the doorbell twice and i just kind of slid it into notion we have like a parking lot page where i have tons of lyrical ideas and i wrote a bunch of stuff that ends up becoming parts of these songs and john's voice memo was in there that called ring the doorbell twice and when we started writing this song that wasn't part of it. The The line was, looks like we got it right. Um, and we had the maybe, oh, maybe you got this move in. Looks like we got it right. And then I kind of had like a light bulb moment. And I go, hey, John, that, that, that rhymes with ring the doorbell twice. And he goes, we can use ring the doorbell twice? <laughs> and his like, face lit up like a little kid. I was like, I think we can use ring the doorbell twice. And it just fit perfectly. And um and then that's what the song's really about. The song's really about if, if something's good the first time, go back and do it again. Ring the doorbell <laughs> twice. And you can take that for whatever it means, whether it's, uh, you know, you had a good date, go back for a second date. Uh, you played a good jam, go back and turn it into a song. <laughs> yeah. uh, it can mean a lot of different things, but, you know. <laughs> oh, oh wow. That was, that was that me. Joey? That was me on there. There he is. Where I'm were gone. you there? I'm gone now. Uh, yeah, you were on like a dry channel. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we Joey sings in the studio. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I'll I'll get up there and set the melody, and then John will start singing over it, and then he'll add his pizzazz to it, and that's really how. I mean, like maybe you maybe got this moving. Yeah. Right. That wasn't something that I wrote, but he was singing over some melodies that I had written, and then he starts freestyling, and that maybe you maybe got this moving. He just said it. And then, and then we're like, wow, that's really good, you know? So you and Magner both like turned around and lit up. I didn't even think anything of it. I was just going, maybe you, you know, I was yeah. just, I was just being a dork and you guys lit up and I was like, oh, this is good. And then it was obvious that it was the chorus of the song from their reaction. And it. we have so many moments like that, these breakthrough <laughs> moments, and we're not very good at videoing ourselves or documenting what happens in here, but I mean, when we thought of the end of Twisted or the end of Attack or the end of One Chance to Save the World. There you go. Or the hook in this song where it just happens. And because it's a collaboration, there's other people. When, when two other people hear something and they realize, hey, this is it, you feel confident that that's really it. I mean, between Brownie, John, Magner, and myself, we know what makes good disco biscuits. And these moments happen and it's about you know, really leaning into it. Like we joked that the space opera is the rock opera that we yes ended into existence. There yeah. were so many times 
when somebody could have been like, this is dumb, or we don't want to write a song, a rock opera with somebody who's never written songs before, this idea is stupid, whatever. But we never did that. We just, yes, let's do it, and let's build off of it, and let's think of something else to do from there. And uh, it's really just kind of become the ethos of all of these new songs. It's just really leaning into these moments when we have these breakthroughs and supporting each other and, uh, and, and just creating greatness together. John, you have been using a lot of vocal processing, vocoders, robotic voices on these studio demos. Yeah. Um, and I know that when you first debuted some of the rock opera songs, you were using auto-tune and vocal processing on stage. Yes. Uh, is there any thought of using some of these vocal effects on stage, not for pitch correction, but for creating an effect or a, a new tone or something that sounds appropriate to the sort of genre of music that you're working in here? Yeah, totally is. If you go see The weekend, he's using vocal processing on every single song. He has yeah. a different voice on every one of his songs and he's the top of the game so everybody is doing it literally everybody is doing it and then i go to i listen back to the disco biscuit stuff and i sound like i'm podcasting like I, compared to these other artists yeah it's very dry and it's very basic and it is because it's really hard to do these things in a live setting without the sequence and without all the other you know, conveniences that someone like The Weeknd might have where, there we go, let me, let me kill that for now. Um, he's got, he's, sing, he's singing over backing tracks. He has cuts of his own vocals that he's singing along with live. Yeah. So we can't really do that in the biscuits because we don't know when we're gonna hit the chorus, honestly. I mean, yeah. it, everything is so improv that even the song itself can't be played to, I mean, it could be played to a click, but it cannot be played to a sequence. And that's just part of doing what we do. I think that um, having really cool lead singer tones is really, really important. I think that the way that they mix distortion into the weekend's vocals is incredible. I think the way that they do distortion into Casey Musgrave's vocals is incredible. And in both cases, their, their voice comes off sounding impeccable and... You don't even think, oh, there's there's processing on that vocal. You just think, wow, this person is incredible. But what I've learned from sitting in a studio during the pandemic and since is that there is a lot of nuanced production going on. And I'm starting to bring that stuff to stage a little bit now that we have, you know, some technical ability to do that. And we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I probably... Uh, I probably have on this next winter tour, I'll probably have some more concepts, presets and, and ideas coming through the vocal. But my goal isn't to become like a Daft Punk type of robot thing. My goal is to just give the vocals a real legitimate soaring sound and tone, just like we do with the guitar. You know, it's very... If I was playing a clean guitar on stage, <laughs> no one would like that. You wouldn't like the top of the jam, but I add distortions and delays and some compression and I keep it nice and smooth. And then I go to the top of the jam and you get this beautiful ringing tone and the vocals should be the same. I just have been having a lot of trouble kind of selling that idea to everybody. Everybody wants, you know, their, their like folky Bob Dylan moment. And that's cool. 
but it does mean that we don't get to do like like some of the good huge moments vocally we don't get an opportunity to do like some other artists because they have a lot of that stuff in the game so i'm just going to bring into the game on the demos honestly the demos sometimes you have to move so quickly that it's just easier to find a preset and just sing into the preset and go with that tone than it is to like try and line up this perfect vocal tone. I mean, perfect is the enemy of good in demo creation. Perfect is how you screw up making your demo. Well, speaking of demos, the last new track of the year debuted during set three on New Year's Eve at the Electric Factory or Franklin Music Hall. <laughs> Fire Will Exchange, which of course, based on a segment of the Dewey Beach basis Times Square, Another jam that we discussed quite a bit on the podcast last episode, but that uh, didn't make it into the top three for Jam of the Year, but was certainly something that a lot of people noticed at the time and have been talking about ever since.
Yeah, so coming into this writing session, we knew we wanted three new songs. We had three days. Um, and I knew that starting with Caskill Jubilee, we had the multi-tracks being recorded the way that John wanted them, that we could make him this song. So I, I wanted us to focus on jams from fall tour. Um, I also thought it was cool that this sort of this huge tour, this sort of peak of, you know, a peak moment, a peak, a peak tour of a peak year of the Biscuits, we could close the year with new songs made from those moments. Um, and I don't just pick the jam and say, hey, we're doing this. I pick a couple of jams and then we listen to them collectively and we decide what we want to do. Um, so we listened to a couple and uh, we, we, we settled on the basis Times Square and we actually got worried there for a second. We weren't sure if the recording had come through the right way and uh, we were a little worried that we weren't going to be able to make it work. Um, and then it all came together and it came together fast. So, uh, you know, yeah, this song is the basis Times Square from Dewey Beach. It was originally titled Beach Vacation. That's what John had titled it. Yeah. Uh, but Fire Will Exchange is, is too fire to uh, call it anything else. This song was interesting because there's there was almost no edits in the produ- in the creation of the song from the jam the only thing that i did when we when we made the template of the song to start singing over was i took a point at the end of the first chorus and just cut it there and then restarted it from the beginning of the verse a second time so we essentially played verse, chorus, and then all the outro, like all the climax stuff, perfectly in the jam. And I just doubled the verse in the chorus so that we could sing a second verse. And that was the entire editing process. It was the fastest thing of all time. And we almost gave up on it, right? Because I couldn't, I couldn't warp it and keep it funky. I couldn't make the computer recognize the beat of the band without changing the way the band was playing the lines that they were playing. So I was losing the funk, which to me, the song is very subtly funky. Yeah. Um, and I was losing that subtle funk and I was just like, and, and everybody was like, I love this jam. I love this jam. And I was sitting there like getting beat by the computer in a massive way. Track out. I lost the funk in the bass. I was like, okay, I'll come back to it. Let me try the drums. I lost the funk in the drums. I was like, oh, let me go to the guitar, lost the funk. And I was just like, I am getting beat up in this session. And then I figured out a different way to warp it, which is now the future for me. Um, and that'll, that'll be my trade secret, I guess. And okay. then, we don't want Goose doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they, their music, I don't know if they, uh, any band that plays to a click, I think, would would benefit because that's, I don't know if they do that, but uh, a yeah. lot of bands do. Like uh, Sun Squab, he plays to a click. Like, I'll probably end up telling those guys how to do it and stuff like that. Um, but it really helped. It was just like a panic situation. And then once I figured out this new way to do it, then it was easy. It was like, it was like uh, you know, it was easy. It was just like, bang, now it's done. Everything's good. Everything's funky. And then we made one edit between the one part and the other part and went bang. And then it's like, okay, now it's a song. And then we got on the microphone. And I think you already had the line, Firewell Exchange, at that point. I did. Yeah. And in my, in my head, I was like, okay, this song's done. Because I just need that one lyric that 
that to me is is like uh uh like an undeniable lyrical concept that's all i need to know that okay we we're gonna do something great here yeah well yeah so so like you said it, it was about three and a half hours of you almost melting down and giving <laughs> up and then you were like oh i can just do this and <laughs> yeah. then like four hours later we had a song but what's funny is, and you know, and and I've learned this from John. Sometimes you just got to write. You got to write. You can't be super critical of what you're writing. Um, and I had written a song. I actually wrote it over a different jam from Faltor because that's what I've started doing. You know, if I I, I try to write over Biscuits music just to give me a, a a baseline melody to write over, and I wrote a song, and the hook was really bad. And John John. <laughs> Did not like it, and he let me know that he was uh, he did not like it. But then when we started listening to this song, um, some of the lyrics from that song that didn't make the cut, uh, you know, so I'll ride along just to see the view. Find, uh, you know, well, we changed a couple of the words there, but uh, find meaning in a getaway. They came from this other song that ultimately wasn't a good song, but we were able to use some good lyrics, and then those came as a springboard for it. And and when the music in the studio is looping. And it's just looping and looping. And I'm just, John's on the computer and I'm just listening, trying to hear different melodies. And uh, I actually wanted to use the line, act like you've been here before and ring the doorbell twice. And I couldn't figure out how to make it work. And yeah. then when we were just looping this song, it, a clean getaway, if you act like you've been here before, it just kind of came over the melody. And Magner and I were kind of standing together and he gave me that look like, Oh, you just figured something out, you know, and we yeah. were like getting really excited about it and 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 we knew we had a song. I love this song. I have been for the last few weeks telling Joey, I feel like this represents uh, a, a real culmination of of Joey's process in becoming a writer from, you know, in your late 30s, early 40s, never having written a song before to writing what I think is is an extremely poignant and poetic series of images that comes across like a movie. There are elements of this that remind me very much of true romance, of, you know, star-crossed lovers, on the run, heists, bullets. But there's also a metaphor here for an obsessive relationship of this guy singing to his girl, uh, uh, you know, like, no bad ideas when I'm in it with you. We all know that infatuation <laughs> when the girl, when the, the girl is so hot and so irresistible that you will literally rob a bank for her, <laughs> or you will go down in a, in a hail of gunshots, literally or metaphorically in order to be with that person. And, and I just think that the pairing of the images and the lyrics with the music it is really, I think, the perfect handshake of this process. John, take us into the demo so people can hear what I'm talking about. All right, here we go. I got to just make sure this is outputting correct. This, the lyrics will also be quite different in this. We, we did a lot of lyrical work between when we cut the demo and when we played it. I mean, we're literally up till, up till showtime, we were making slight tweaks to the lyrics. Yeah, it was kind of nice to have these shows and to know that dropping a new song on each one of these shows would make the weekend super, super special. And to know we had like kind of the material, but the idea of like dropping the song and then changing the lyrics later has kind of been our ethos, but it, it has held back the actual debut of the song a little bit because the, you know, it's not a finished thing at that point. 
And we had these shows as deadlines and it really made us work hard on getting the lyrics done. And I really like what we got. I mean, art, you really you need kind of a deadline. You need some like motive force to get you pumping on it. And uh, you've talked about that to me before, John, you mentioned how above the waves and hot air balloon, you had days and yes. you had programs printed up and an event planned and you needed the song. Yeah. Above the waves was written <laughs> the, and, and like three in the morning, the night before the show <laughs> or two nights before the show. Yeah. And so it was hot air balloon. So it was the whole flight of the hot air balloon. Like I was writing, the all December, I was writing every single night uh, for the before those shows because I, you know, it just wasn't done. Um, and I'm happy the way that that turned out too. I mean, the, the deadlines work. Let's just face it. Every John, every 25 years, you debut some new songs in December. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And John and I were were kind of misaligned a little bit on this song. You know, when we wrote the space opera, we had a story, right? And every song we wrote, we would sit there before we started writing, and we would say, "This is the scene that's happening." These are the, the the characters that are in this song. This is the perspective of the song. And we all knew kind of what was going on. Now, the, the space opera isn't a literal explanation of what's happening. We use that scene to inspire the lyrics. But with the last couple songs, we intentionally wanted to be different about it. We didn't want to have plot-focused songs. We wanted them to be a little more... Um, I don't know what's the word, uh, you know. They're, they're mood or tone focused, I think. Exactly. But the problem with that is I have something in my head and John has something in his head and we have to get aligned. So um, we, we weren't quite aligned. Like the chorus is a lot different than it was. But honestly, Max, you helped me kind of, uh, when you explained to me what you thought the song was about, it allowed me to sort of sell that vision to John. And I walked around the city before the Times Square show all afternoon, um, and I just wrote. I, I had a loop, and I was just writing, writing, writing. I was even sending some things to you. You were helping me workshop it. Yeah. And uh, we got John where he needed to go, and uh, and then we got to a place where we felt really good about the song. I was on the airplane Wi-Fi going back and forth with Joey, and Joey would send me one version. I'd say, what about this? And he'd send me another, and then I finally, you sent me the version, and I said, that's it. That's That's the lyric. And then, I mean, speaking of organization, the line, uh, burn it down to create it, which is all, probably one of the best songs, of the, song, lines of the song. Uh, John put that in there, but he put that in there. I guess I had written something similar in the parking lot. He saw it and then he turned it into that. So uh, again, the, the, be the beauty of notion and organization. Yeah, it's interesting because my whole thing about the lyrics is I need to be able to sing them without forgetting them. <laughs> and if I can't remember them, then I just, I, I feel like I can't, I, it's not that, it's not that I can remember it if I studied it, but I need it to be memorable just in general, like as, as a poem, I just needed to stick in my brain in some sense. And so I know that's my criteria, which is a little bit different than everybody's criteria, I, I think. It's got to resonate with you. It's got to resonate with me so I can just sing it and it's got to sing nice over the melody. And, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of that, like kind of word, word whack-a-mole, trying to find different words that mean the same thing that fit in the same spot. So you can see, you know, I had this problem with falling where, where the, the word beneath was in the one line and I couldn't get it out in time. And then I just changed it to neath, you know, N-E-A-T-H, yeah. which is a word. 
and it works. And, and, you know, and suddenly that line is no problem for me at all. And it's, I'm doing that over and over again because we're writing music all the time. So I'm always sitting around trying to figure that out. But it, it is interesting that I went through like the dustbin of old Joey lyrics for this song and found that burn it down, burn something down line. And then somebody Instagrammed me, burn something down to create it. Legend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so what you're like, looking for. Yeah, right there. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And I look at it as my job to make John comfortable and happy, right? <laughs> like I'm not writing for myself. I'm writing for the disco biscuits. And um if he if he doesn't feel it, it's not good enough, right? And I want that honest feedback and uh I want him to feel really good about seeing our number one rule, space opera song. Or any other song, number one rule before anything else is it's got to be fun to sing, right? And everything else comes after that. Um, and so I don't ever take it personally. And I I feel like if I work on it until he's happy, it's going to be good. John, take us through the track. And while we're listening, maybe isolate some of the individual instruments. For example, Mark's bass line, which I think is one of the signature elements of this song. Yeah, yeah, there was a moment. So I found a moment in the bass and moved it into the pre-chorus of this song because it was something that they actually did on stage that I wish I can do as a producer. So it's really hard sometimes to get that little funky stutter into dance music. You hear it all the time. And they, the guys have little tricks, but if you don't know the trick, like if you don't know what a side chain is, how do you get the pump? You know, you listen to the pump and you hear it, but if you don't know what a side chain is, how do you get a pump? And so there's, there's still, I, even to this day, I mean, I'm producing music for a long time. There's still things about dance music that I hear that I don't quite know what the trick is that makes it so doable. And Mark and uh, Alan did it on stage, actually. And so now I know what it is. It's Mark plays the bass instead of right on top of the kick drum. He plays it a split second before the kick drum and then a split second after. And it's very subtle, but it's boom, 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 instead of boom, boom, boom. It's just like that. But that little stutter makes it funky. Give us that little stutter. I don't, I don't know if I can find it. <laughs> I think it's right here. Hold on. Yeah, there's the paste. So I found it in a different section of the song. And then I pasted it in here. Where is it? Here we go. Let's see if it, maybe it's over here. So it's a very simple bass line. Um, it's a very simple little bass line. But it's got this. Let's see if I can. There it is. Did you hear that? There we go. So it'll loop around here. And then you'll hear him. Here it is. Hear that? Yeah. It's just that little thing. But I've always wanted to know how to do that, you know, because it's funky and it makes it dancey. And you just, I didn't realize you just put the bass off the kick a little bit and then you put another bass on the other side of it so you get this ba boom boom this real quick ba boom boom right on the beat give it to us with all the tracks now all right so that was 
here it comes. I love it. love how that guitar comes in right there. That lick is just so good. Yeah, so this song is exactly like we played it in Dewey, pretty much, except for that little funky thing. And Aaron added the keyboard melody uh, lead line, which is right here. I think, I think it's right here. Oh, no, no, it's right here. This thing. Amazing. So we basically like, you know, when, when I'm making the song, it is a good idea that when we're making the song, if, if we don't really have anything to sing at the moment, because um, in this song it was like we had nothing and I was like, we got to stop working on this because it's driving me crazy. And then 10 minutes later, the whole song was done. Yeah. And so it was like too fast for Joey to have like really any like lyrical ideas worked out. So I have to kill some time at that point. And a good way to kill some time is let Magner cut stuff. Yeah. It's just be like, pull up a synth, Mags, start cutting stuff. And so you get a lot of interesting sounds there. So we, we, did, do a, we did do a session on top of this with some keyboards and I made it a couple of edits, um, but besides that, it's exactly the jam. Should we try from the top? Sure. All right, you tell me what you want to hear I, specifically. I want, to hear your, I want to hear your guitar. All right, so this is the guitar. Now, this is as I played it live. So this is with all the reverbs and delays yeah. that I'm using live. And I don't think I'm... I'm not even using any... Re this is no reverb and delay on the guitar at all so this is literally a, exactly as the guitar is played on stage there's some eqs of course but besides that yeah I, I asked for the guitar alone because after this in all of the analysis online rich Steele said that this was you playing in your 99 2000 style he he said that this was kind of peak old school barber playing yeah, lots of delays, lots of single note stuff in a funky way, and then an exploding lick. Sure, I can rich see that. Rich tone, just such a good rich tone. Yeah, and this is the digital guitar tone that Rich and Brian made, and it's so clean that it's basically a studio sound. Wow. There's no microphone. I don't even use the mic. I use the mic... I don't even use the mic anymore, honestly. I just use this. And that's basically what it is. And you hear, like, if you go over here to later in the song. Oh, yeah. You can mix it in with the kick. So you can hear, like, just, like, the, the raw... You know, just the live, like, you know, the thing about doing this stuff live, you can hear the guitar, like, you put the guitar line in a different pocket when you're playing it live because you have to think about it and then play it. And you have to, like, go to things early to see if they, have, see if they work. So if they do work, 
when you come back around, you can put it on the spot you would want at the pot. So that's what I just, yeah. there it is right there. So now I'm trying there and then I go back to the lick that I know works. And then I'm sitting on it. So that was like how I figure out what I want to play without playing something bad. You know, I try it out in a, on a three or a four and then I go away from it. And then if I liked it, I'll go back to it. And then I actually played two things and ended up liking both of them, so I mixed them together. And that's, you know, guitar playing one-on-one. Take us back to the chorus, because I know that lyrically the chorus was one of the areas that you guys worked the hardest on and had the most... There was the most friction around some of the phrasing in that section. Yeah, well, the... The chorus, the, the melody came to me pretty quick, right? Um, when when we were going through the jam, uh, I mean, honestly, the whole the whole the whole song once we kind of got it figured out came very fast as far as the melodies, the melody, the verse, the way that we wanted to amp, you know, kind of bring the energy up in the chorus, uh, the clean getaway. If you act like you've been here before, um, but there was a couple that one John doesn't like uh, words like stop. He doesn't like. Uh, Things that are, that seem like you're you're demanding something of somebody, or or you're telling somebody what to do. Uh, you know, or it doesn't like words like stop or um, what are some other never don't. I, I don't like words that are uh, that are negatively that are conjugations and are negative. That's where we changed that line in photograph, right? Wasn't it like stealing or breaking or uh, uh, the, the we we replaced stealing with breaking. I forget. I forget exactly what the line was, but we did replace that line. It was something that was negative. Yeah, and and so one of the things where well, what if it, instead of stop, it was start? So that yeah. was that was one of the, <laughs> right. that was one of the changes. Don't tell we, me what to do. Yeah. Oh, start. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, the the original lyrics were like it was like stop stealing signs if you mean it. It was more about just finding like words that sounded good together. Yeah, um, that rolled off the tongue well. Um, you know, and start start stealing signs became start stealing time because you need it. Uh, the next line was uh, start or stop stealing all your politics next door or something like that, which again didn't mean anything, but it was more about the the rhythm of the words. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah uh, politics next door felt good in this thing, but you know, at the same time. But now start running when they're knocking at your door. So now you know it's, way better. Yeah. So start stealing time. <laughs> Because uh, you need it, start running when they're they're knocking at your door. It really fits well together. It's all about like you're out of time. <laughs> you need to go, whatever that means to you. Yeah. Uh, but but the shit's about to hit the fan, um, and then you got to burn it down to create it. Which John had always thought this song was his vision of this song was really about just lighting everything on fire and starting fresh. Um, and which kind of fits in really well to some of the other themes of the song, which is, you know, this relationship that needs to be lit on fire needs to start fresh. <laughs> this bank that you may or may not have set on fire to, to get away from and that. A, and a clean getaway, a yeah. fresh start. And, that, yeah. and then it's finally, it's, it, it's, uh, I got a bird that created, um, if you act like you've been here before, which I think one is just, I'm always looking for common phrases to use in a unique way that could be fun to sing uh you know another plan of attack uh, freeze get your hands up if you act like you've been here before people know these phrases um 
but trying to use them in a, a more melodic way, a fun way. They, they make sure they, they have to roll off the tongue really good. Um, but but I mean, for me, the Biscuits have always been a sing along band, right? Yes. Like you you go there and you want to sing with the crowd, and so you want to have lines that people can sing, right? They that are easy to understand the words, that are easy and fun to sing, and. Uh, you know, I've always, you know, act like you've been here before is always kind of like a phrase that I've really liked a lot. Um, and it fits in well with the song. Uh, that was always part of it. Uh, but yeah, and then you make a clean getaway. Um, and so uh, really it, it came together. I This is, I mean, I, I think over time this might be might be the my, my favorite song that we've written. Um, and it, it it's just, it's so, it's so disco biscuitsy at the core, right? That's, a, I mean, that's so important to me particularly is that, I want these to be disco biscuit songs at the core. I want the people that were there in 98 and 99 to feel as excited about these songs as they did about Memphis and, and Basis and Spacebird and all these early songs. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think that that's why also making the songs from jams kind of sets us off automatically in the right foot for that. John, take us through that chorus. Yeah. An interesting thing about this song is that, the, the fact that it, this is a song, this is a day three song on the session, right? This is the day three song is usually the hardest one to do and always ends up being the best of the three because you've just been writing and working. And this is a day three song. And I also feel like day three songs end up with their own uniqueness. That is like you write something that you didn't even know you had in you. And that's, that's what this song, that's what I like about this song. It's like, what is this? Like, who writes this song? But it feels amazing. And that's, the flow is what matters. Don't stop, just start. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's listen to the chorus. There's the old version. Yeah. that baseline right there it's crazy live yeah i mean the melody hear the crowd a little bit in there yeah that's great yeah i mean i'm using the you know i i like to have when i take alan's drums i don't you know, they're all mics, so I, I don't really think they translate great to studio. So I use a lot of his e-drums, but in this particular song, he's doing such cool things on the cymbals that I kept the cymbals in there, and so the crowd will bleed through a little bit. So much better too. 
That to me is the most interesting line of the song. How so? I just didn't want to sing. The streets could be littered with bullets because like the world is littered with bullets right now. And I just, I just didn't want to sing that necessarily as far as kind of along with like the negative thing. But then when I heard it in the demo, like you got to sing whatever you sing during the demo because it's all about the melody than it is the lyrics. And when I heard it in the demo, I was like, oh, it's, it's just like the vibe, you know, like, yes, the words don't matter. It's just the vibe. So there is going to be exceptions to every rule when you're writing these songs and you have to recognize when something is the exception and when something needs to follow the rule. And I think it's also kind of the point of the song. The world is littered with bullets, but you got to kind of get by with the people that you're with too, right? Regardless of that fact. And that's really the, 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 the point of that line. It's like everything could be burning down, but if I'm with you, I can get through it. Whether that, in this case, that's true or not for this person, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there is a little ambiguity. <laughs> Is this the best thing that ever happened to him or the worst thing? Exactly. (laughs) Seems like the worst, but, you know, we'll see. And there was, you know, we had these moments and we do a lot of joking around in the studio. uh, And earlier in the day, we were doing like a whole Billy, we were doing a whole Billy Joel thing where Magner was on the piano and we were just singing lines about geography because that's what <laughs> Billy Joel does. Like, you know, Hackensack, hack, 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 or Vienna, or, or, or uh, right. Vienna Waits for You, or whatever it is. Um, Love that song. And so we started that out as joking in the morning, but then when we were writing the song later, I just I was like, oh, well, Billy Joel would, would use a ge- geographic reference here, and that's where, you know, You Try Leaving Me in South L.A. came from. Yeah. Which is the first time I've ever done that in a song, uh, and it was directly tied to this just morning joke that we had going on <laughs> yeah and uh you know stuff like that happens all the time in here well you're bringing songs from outer space back to real life rooted grounded places in the united states not just Times square uh, but you're you're bringing songs to the present moment you're placing them in our reality and you're touching on emotions and experiences that people can identify with yeah yeah and and we're doing it as in, in ways that I didn't even expect us to like, I did not expect us to make a, you know, song like this. Honestly, it's very rare. Like the breakdown verse over just a kick and some changes, super rare for us to have the high of the song be this high, which is just like, it's almost got like a Brett Michaels, like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, like what was it? Um, was it, What's the song uh, where it just starts off with him over the acoustic guitar? Uh, every, every rose, rose has, has its thorn. thorn. That's exactly right. <laughs> it kind of almost has like an every rose has its thorn vibe to it in the beginning. Yeah. Well, it's definitely very romantic. I'd have to pull that one up. Yeah, it's a similar concept, I guess. And, you know, I, I, I really hope it's someday that I will get a residency as Circuit Circus like uh, Preton. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a reality dating show. (laughs) No, that that. ship has sailed. (laughs) That would be a show that people would watch, though. I mean, we talked about it at one point. Barber Bachelor? No, we were going to do a band show. and um, The band wasn't organized enough to do it, but people were interested in it. At one point, it was like 2008 or something. We didn't have Notion yet. Yeah, it would have been... 
straight up reality show would have been crazy. Vote each other out of the band. <laughs> That's pretty much what would have happened. Because those it's years. pretty much what did happen. <laughs> we should have gone to an island somewhere. like what you're hearing guys head over to apple itunes give us a five-star rating that helps a lot and even better yet share an episode with a friend maybe you've got some b4l people in your life who don't know about touchdowns all day maybe you got some friends who listen to other jam bands not even into jam bands please share an episode of touchdowns all day with them and while you're at it, maybe head over to touchdownsallday.com or hit up John or me on social media. He's at Barber Shreds. I'm at FY Maxwell on most major platforms. Love to keep the conversation going. Love your feedback. Love your recommendations for songs for the band to cover. We will be keeping an eye out for all of your feedback on these episodes going forward. Touchdowns All Day is an Osiris Media production. We are produced by Crunk Mike and Osiris Media. Executive producer, Dr. Vic Sopti. I'd like to give a special thanks to everyone who helped make this episode possible. That includes the Disco Biscuits, everyone over at 1111 Management, Andrew Kaplan, the Biscuits Internet Project, and Andy Bazzani, Rich Steele at Nugs, Drew Granicelli, Scott McClintock, Think Tank Dubs, Avery McMahon for giving me a ride over to Barber's house, Lisa for putting up with me, John and Joey, blabbing in the basement all day. On behalf of Barber and everyone else at the Touchdowns All Day podcast, I'm Max Dawson saying, see you next time, guys. We're mass communicating. We're mass